All right, welcome everyone. Can we greet one another in the way that we always greet one another as we gather together? Can we turn to the person next to us, give them a high five, and say, we're all in this together? Now, the reason that I have us say this is to remind each other that no person is an island and no one should be alone by themselves, but that we are all created in the image of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we are a family united together as one in Jesus Christ. And so the past uh, couple of weeks, we've been going through our series on spiritual blessings. And so the first week, we were actually uh, learning about and being encouraged to seek after spiritual blessings rather than physical blessings, blessings that we receive materially uh, in this world. And then uh, just last week, we heard from Pastor David uh, in terms of our pursuit of spiritual blessings in regards to our relationships And then this morning, we're actually going to end our series by learning about passing down spiritual blessings by breaking generational curses. And so we're going to be looking at generational curses and blessings uh, this morning. So I want us to begin by taking a moment to actually think about this. What comes to mind when you think about curses and blessings? So what aspect of blessings and curses come to mind when you hear those words. So take a moment to think about it because I want you to actually share with the person next to you what actually comes to mind when you think about these two things. So just take a quick moment to share with the person next to you what comes to mind when you hear about blessings and curses. All right, go. All right, just for the sake of time, I apologize to cut this very short, uh, but hopefully that it can continue conversations afterwards, or if you join a life group, for those of you who aren't a part of a life group, that this is an opportunity for you to join and to have further discussions uh, on this. And so maybe for some of us, as you're sharing, don't even believe there's such a thing as a curse or even an actual blessing. Maybe for some of us, we think it's something that is supernatural that affects maybe our mental health, whether we're affected physically, that someone maybe even places a a curse or even a word of blessing that actually people become fortunate. For others, again, it's something maybe that is physical or material, such as our wealth and our health is affected by blessings and curses, or even in terms of relationally. Maybe some of us who are single see that maybe you're cursed to be alone forever, or for those who maybe are married also feel that as if you're cursed and you'll always be married forever to the same person. Or maybe some of you thought about sports like the 49ers this season, right? What happened? Right? Some say that there was this quarterback curse where every single quarterback was being injured. And they said that it can't just happen, right? Just like, this is amazing how this was possible this year. I even heard uh, just this uh, past year that the 49ers, just by having the name the 49ers, that they're cursed. And he said, do you know why uh, the 49ers and having the name 49ers, why they're so cursed? that that name actually represents the very fact that they can't even get past the 50-yard line, which is the halfway point. And so something that curses and blessings are merely superstition, like something like knocking on wood or walking past a black cat or even breaking a mirror, that these things actually don't result in bad luck or even good luck. 
Now, there are some who believe that it's something that's only cultural, something that's in the East, in the East where magic is practiced instead of logic. But a lot of times we like to pride ourselves in the westernized world to believe that we're maybe educated. And so we don't believe in these types of superstitions. But when I looked at multiple surveys, it was surprising to see that Americans are just as superstitious as any other nation. It's just that we don't like to admit it. Now, for example, I want to ask everybody here whether or not, again, you believe uh, in blessings and curses or superstitions. I do want to ask this. Please raise your hand, okay? This is just an example. Raise your hand, please, if on your birthday, before you blow out the candle, you actually make a wish. What? Only one or two, three? Only a few of you? I would imagine that all of us is something that we do, not just as a tradition, but that there's something that we actually do believe and why we actually practice it. Many times without even realizing that we do these things subconsciously, that it points to a belief in the supernatural. Like, for example, how many of us maybe throw a coin in a well and we make a wish? Or how many of us, when we see a shooting star, would make a wish? Or how many of us even cross our fingers to hope that something would actually happen or come true. You know, even one of the most renowned atheists, I don't know if you know who Richard Dawkins is, he's a professor of evolutionary uh, biology at Oxford, and he also taught here at Berkeley. But he did an interview about roughly 10 or more uh, years ago, and he was on the BBC Radio Live, and he went on to criticize Christians, that Christians believe in God when they themselves don't read the Bible, that there was a survey that was saying that over half of Christians in uh, Europe or in Britain, that they actually didn't even read the Bible. And so he argued that Christians don't even really truly believe in God, even though they say that they do. That Christians, he said, when I ask Christians to at least recite or to say the first four, bio, uh, first four uh, books of the New Testament, which is the Gospels, that they're not even able to say that. And so then the host went on to say to Dawkins, you know what, you know, I guess that's fair, but let me ask you, if I said to you, what's the full title of the origin of species? Could you tell me what that was? And then Dawkins says, yes, of course, I totally can. Yes, I could. And the host said, all right then, go on, tell me what's the full title of the origin of species. And then Dawkins says, oh, yeah, the origin of species. Oh, oh, God. Uh, there's a subtitle with it, um, with something like respect to the preservation of favored races and some struggle of life, and he actually got it wrong. And then the host said, you're the high pope or the high priest of Darwinism, Darwinism, and you, if you don't know the title, can you imagine, and if I were to ask people who believe in evolution that very question, and they came back and said only 2% got it right, it would be easy for me to say, hey, you don't truly believe in evolution at all. Now, the point is this, and why I bring this up, is that Dawkins doesn't believe in God. But when he is lost, he calls on the very name of the one he doesn't believe in. You see, whether or not we believe in God or in blessings and curses 
what we actually see is that all aspects of society and in life, that the vast majority of people in the world believe in something that is supernatural, something that is metaphysical, not talking about uh, the metaverse, but something that is supernatural. Whether or not we believe in God blessings or curses, that in every society and the vast majority of the people in the world believe in something that is metaphysical. So the definition, if we take a look at what the Oxford English Dictionary says about curses and blessing is this. So if you take a look, that a curse is a solemn utterance intended to invoke a supernatural power to inflict harm or punishment on someone or something. Or blessed is to pronounce words in a religious rite to confer or to invoke divine favor upon Ask God to look favorably upon or on. So the first things that we actually see in both definitions is this. You see that a curse is a solemn utterance, which means words that are spoken. And to bless is also to pronounce words, is to speak words. And the thing is that words are very, very powerful if we know in terms of when we read in Genesis when God created the universe, when he created you and I, it was simply by speaking a word and everything came into existence. And therefore words are very powerful that the very words that God speaks, life and existence comes into being. Even for Jesus, the very words that Jesus speaks brings healing and deliverance in people that even a very word calms the greatest and mightiest storms. And if we think about it, why do we even pray? We actually pray because we believe that the words that we speak and that are spoken actually has power and it has an effect and it actually does something. You know, um, maybe uh, some of us uh, have heard this multiple times, but the thing is that the idea that weapons actually start wars that people argue that that's not true, that it's not weapons that start wars, but it's words. And there's kind of a saying that says that the pen is mightier than the sword. And it's the same, I believe, for us in terms of a spiritual world, that we actually are in a spiritual battle in which we fight not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of this world and that is why there's this idea or concept of generational curses, of curses that we fight against, that are against us. And so by definition, what we see is that curses and blessings in life, that there's three aspects to it. And we also see it not in just the definitions we went over, but if you read the Bible, we see that the three aspects are this. And so if we take a look, that the three aspects of curses and blessings is first, that it's supernatural, that it's spiritual in nature. And that second, it doesn't just deal with the supernatural, but it also deals with the physical and material things. So physically in terms of our physiology, our health and our bodies and who we are, and also our material goods. And then third and lastly, it deals relationally, our relationships, and also socially as well in society. And so this is what we also see in regards, once again, as I mentioned, in the Word of God. That the Bible, when we see curses and blessings, is in regards to not only what is spiritual, but it's physical and relational. 
So blessings and curses is not just something that is in isolation, that it's just one event or one word that is spoken, but it's something that has a last, a longing and a lasting effect on our lives, and it's something that gets passed down over time. And so that's what we call then generational curses and blessings, which are an accumulated effect of someone else, of an ancestor's belief, which results in their descendants' benefit or their consequence. And so we see this visibly, actually, even in terms of our heredity, how physical, mental, and behavioral characteristics are passed down genetically and generationally from parents to children. You know, actually, one of the blessings I believe that we have in being kind of a part of a multi-ethnic or ethnic or multi-generational church is getting to meet each of our parents, which helps us to understand many times why the person sitting next to you is the way that they are and even how they look. We get to see whether or not where a person gets their good looks from. Is it from the mom or the dad or their not so good looks where they get it from or where a person gets their height or their skin color as well as their personalities and temperaments. You know, if you really want to get to know a person, I believe that the best way is not through an Enneagram or a personality test, even though that's very helpful, that the best way is actually to meet their parents. You know, for example, my wife and I came to this realization, you know, we come to it all the time when we see our kids, but more recently when my wife had to actually log into my kids, our kids' emails, and so we have four kids, for those of you who don't know, and so she had asked uh, one of our kids, the one that is most, I would say, like my wife, that she asked, uh, you know, the one that's most like her, what their password is. And we were surprised to see that that password is very similar to the type of password that my, my wife typically chooses. It's something that's very complicated because my wife is a very complicated person. It's something like dash, x, y, slash, you know, asterisk, you know, uh, at something, 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 right? And it's like, oh my gosh, how do you remember this and memorize this? It's so complicated. But what was even more surprising is that when my wife then asked uh, our other child, who was most like me, that the password was almost identical and the same. It's very, very simple. It was like A, B, C, D, E, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And we just couldn't believe it. That how not just different our children are, but how much they're like us. You know, we get a better picture when we meet, you know, each other's parents or our parents because we see both physical and personality traits that have been passed down genetically and generationally. And even last week when we talk about either counseling and healing relationally, we understand actually attachment theory that we are a lot of times the way that we are because of our parents not just in regards to nurture, but nature and what is passed down. And so therefore, the saying goes, like father, like son. And this is not, again, just true genetically, but also actually spiritually what's passed down. And so we see this in John chapter 14. So in John chapter 14, what we see happen is that Jesus is with the disciples, and then one of the disciples, Philip, asks Jesus that if we can only see God, if we could only see God the Father, that that would be enough for us to believe. That can you just reveal to show us? And then Jesus says, you've already seen the God the Father because you've seen me. 
Jesus says, whoever has seen me has seen God the Father. And then Jesus continues to say that what he has received from the Father, he also will pass on to the disciples and on to you and I for everyone who believes that this spiritual blessing that Jesus passes down in John chapter 14, 15, and 16 is actually the Holy Spirit. And through the power of the Spirit, the disciples, along with you and I, Jesus says, will do even greater works and greater things in this world. And he says, if only you believe in the Son in whom God has sent, and then Jesus who will send the Spirit to you and I. Jesus then goes on to say at the end of John chapter 14 that the ruler of this world is coming, that Satan is in this world and he rules this world and he curses this world. But Jesus says that he has no claim on me. He says sin and death and the curse of sin and death, he says it has no power or no claim on me. So why then does Satan have no power? Why is the curse of sin and death have no authority over Jesus Christ? And then Jesus says at the very end, it's because of my relationship with the Father. He says, I have a relationship with the God, the Father, that he lives in me and I in him. And he says that I do as the Father commands me. He says that I believe and I obey because I believe, therefore I obey, that I am a child of God the Father and therefore no curse in this world has authority over me. If you look at the verses found in the Bible about curses and you'll see it everywhere, what you'll find is that a curse is a result of God's people not keeping and obeying God's commands not being obedient to the word of God. So let's take a look at one of the most well-known verses in terms of curses. It is found in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9. And so what we see is this. If, as I read, if you please can follow along. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And so he's talking about idol worship and worshiping other gods. It says that God visits the iniquity or the sins that are passed down. Iniquity meaning generational curses or sins. It says visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And so we look at verses like this that are also found in other passages such as in Numbers and throughout Exodus and in the Old Testament, that it's the same repeated effect that we see that God visits the iniquity or he judges to the third and fourth generation. And we, in a sense, just pick and choose and we take it out of context and believe that God is a God who punishes, is a God of wrath, who judges people and punishes them, even that when they're not deserving of it, that God is a God who is unjust and unfair. When we read this, we think that the punishment that the children receive is solely based on the parents' actions. But this is actually not the case. That it's only part of it. It's only part of it. There are consequences, yes, for the parents' actions. Just like in life, that many times what our parents do and what they choose affects us. And so it's the same thing spiritually. But this is not the only reason why the next generation faces consequences. 
or is judged and punished. It's because if our ancestors disobeyed God's commands by worshiping other gods, then it is likely that we'll also follow and worship the God of our grandparents and parents. You see, unless we understand what is the root of the issue in terms of generational curses, we'll continue to be actually negatively affected spiritually, physically, and relationally. And so the Word of God tells us where the root of this problem lies, that unless we are able to identify the root, then we can never find the cure or the solution. And then the Word of God says that the very issue starts from the very beginning with the very first ancestor, which is Adam and Eve. And so Adam, what we see in Genesis 1, is that God actually blesses Adam. He blesses him physically and also spiritually as God then gives life to Adam as he breathes in him his spirit. And so Adam not only has life physically as he comes to life, but also spiritually he comes to life because he has this relationship and relationally he is with God. And so in relation to God, what we see is that Adam walks and he talks with God in the Garden of Eden. But after Adam disobeys God, there's a curse that negatively affects everything in the world where sin and death enter into the world. So spiritually, physically, and relationally, there's a separation between God and man and man and all of creation. And this will be passed down for generations. And we see the effects of Adam and Eve, the curse that's passed down generationally. And this is the heart of the problem, that unless there's a solution that this world gives for the problem of Adam and Eve's sin, then there's nothing that we can do to reverse the curse of this world. And so not only do we experience the curse of Adam, but what happens is that there's accumulated effect of Adam's descendants that are passed down from our forefathers that have been passed down to us generation to generation. And this curse will continue to accumulate and be passed down until this curse is broken. And so the question then is, are we therefore then powerless to break this generational curse that has been passed down? You know, it would actually seem that way if we only read Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9, thinking that the third and fourth generation is going to continue to go on, but it doesn't, because this is what we see when you look at verse 10. So let's take a look at verse 10. It says, But God, showing steadfast love to thousands, and it's not talking about thousands of people, it says, this is the word, it's talking about thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commands. See, the thing is that God desires to bless you and I generationally, to pour his blessings. If only we would simply believe and obey that God is saying that immediately, that this curse, that I would stop and I would bless you for thousands of generations not simply because of a curse that you don't have any power over, but if you would believe and obey, that the curse would, be, would stop and then my blessings would flow. The point 
is this, that this promise is to show not the number of generations that will be cursed. And even if we look at it, it's only to the third and to the fourth. But it's actually to show the love and the extent and the forgiveness of God's blessings that far exceeds generational curses or God's wrath and judgment. The promise is found not, again, just in Deuteronomy, but if you actually look at every single curse in the Bible, that it's the same thing over and over again that God says, if you would only believe and obey. The point of every single one of these passages, again, is to reveal that curses are only temporary and can be stopped at any moment if we only believe and obey. Whatever curse that God's people experience, God says it only lasts for a few generations, but God's blessings last not only for thousands of generations, but for an eternity for those who believe and obey. Also later in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 16, if you can take a look, what we see is this, that the curse is actually not passed down. So even though God talks about curses earlier, but in a few chapters later in 24, this is what we see. It says that, Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. We see here that we are held accountable. Yes, that there is a consequence and an effect that is passed down because of our ancestors, maybe because of our grandparents and our parents' sins, but it's not simply just because of them but it's also because of our own that we are held accountable for what we believe and what we do. The thing is this, is that the real actually curse that we experience, that you see from the very beginning in Scripture to the very end, that ultimately the primary curse that we all experience in our lives is not the pain and suffering and hardship we experience in regards to the loss of our health, or even wealth, or even family members. It's actually an eternal separation from God to experience eternal life in hell. And so if there is no God, then there is no hope for breaking any curse, the curse of sin and death in this world. But if God is real, then there is hope. And the hope that God offers is through actually his son, Jesus Christ, who shows us the way to have a relationship with God the Father. And this is what Jesus says to Philip in John chapter 14, that the only way to God the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. And that we can only experience true blessings, true change, and true breakthrough to be set free from the curses of this world and experience the blessings of God is in Jesus Christ. We can only experience real blessings for our lives when we believe and obey. And the blessings of God can be passed down generationally. You know, just as Jesus says in uh, we see in, uh, I believe it's in Luke, to Zacchaeus, that salvation has come to his household. When Zacchaeus, who's a tax collector who doesn't believe in the Messiah, but comes to believe that Jesus is his Lord and Savior, that Jesus says that salvation has come to this household. Not saying that because Zacchaeus believes, therefore now everyone in his household and generationally that they're saved. But Jesus is saying, now that there's hope for salvation, that because of Zacchaeus' belief and his obedience, that there is hope for his household 
to experience, to know the cure for the curse of sin and death for their family. That this can be passed down generationally. That our curse is reversed when we believe and obey. Our curse is reversed when we believe and obey. When we believe and obey, we are forgiven by God and put in a right relationship with him. That our spiritual, physical, and relational status is restored with God. And that every curse is broken, meaning that we are set free from every single curse. Now, maybe some of you are saying, Pastor Tony, I don't understand. I believe in Jesus, but yet I feel as if I do still experience curses in my life. That I still either get nightmares or in my life, whatever it may be, I feel as if something is either following me or I continually experience pain, suffering, loss, and hurt. Well, I don't believe that the question is whether or not we've been set free. I believe in the truth of the word of God that says that we are set free. But the question is whether or not we choose to live as free men and women. To live as if we're still under the curse of sin or as people who have been set free. So how we are set free is to, I believe, that we believe and how we begin to live free is by obedience. When we do this, we begin to experience, again, change and breakthrough from generational curses. It's not just in blaming somebody or something else or something that has been passed down. Yes, there are generational curses. But Jesus then empowers us to set us free and then to be obedient to the word of God. To experience and to live in that freedom. And Jesus makes this possible. And we see this in Romans and Galatians and throughout the New Testament. So let's just take a look at two of these verses that speak on this. So take a look at Romans chapter 5, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And then we take a look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. That Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That when we believe in Jesus Christ, that there is no longer any curse over you and I. That we are set free. But the question is whether or not we're going to live in that freedom and in this truth. And then to be obedient, not to the law, to the ways of this world and the curse that speaks to us, that lies to us, but whether or not we're going to be obedient to the truth of God's word. The blood of Jesus Christ covers over every sin, and the blood of Christ has broken every curse. And so do you believe that? The key is to believe and to act on it by actually living it out. Christ made a way for us to be set free. He empowered us where before we were weak and didn't have any power. But through the Holy Spirit, now we are enabled and able to live as free men and women. Free from bondage of sin. The cure is Christ. But the remedy is repentance. See, remedy is an ongoing effect or it's something that is temporary. And so, Christ is the cure that sets us free, but we still feel the effects of sin and the curse of sin and death. 
But there's a remedy, which is repentance and constantly coming before the Lord to be sanctified. We need to confess our sins and proclaim victory in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that to break free from every curse, we need to identify every single sin or every single curse generationally in our past. Because Christ is enough as he overcame sin and death and broke the curse of generational sin. But that doesn't mean that we no longer sin or are not affected by sin. What this means is that, once again, that we have the power in Jesus Christ to break free. And when I talk about repentance, it begins with acknowledging and identifying and not trying to sweep anything under the rug or to hide or to deny but to recognize what are the sins that I continually still allow to have a hold on me. That even though Christ set me free and broke me free from those chains, that I come back to it, I run back to it. But Christ says that I have empowered you no longer to be shackled and to be bound by those sins and that curse, but to be set free. And therefore, we need to identify, but also declare and to proclaim in Jesus' name. To say, lust, get lost. To say, selfishness, step back. Or pain, pass away. Not only do we acknowledge our personal sins, but also the sins within our family that we need to acknowledge. And not just in our family, but even in our church and as a nation. You see, when you take a look at uh, the Old Testament, you look at the prophets, and uh, one of the people that uh, came to mind as I thought about this is Job's life. And when God looked at Job, that what we see in Job's life and how God blesses him is, is, is that he prays for his family. And he gives an offering and a sacrifice to God. And the very fact as he prays for his children and for his family, that he says that maybe they have sinned. I don't even know, but I pray for them. And we even see in Job's life when he loses everything that his wife then says to him, why don't you curse God and die? But Job, even though he could have cursed God, but instead what he does is he blesses the Lord by saying that the Lord gives and he takes away. You know, I believe that an indication of really our relationship and our walk and our heart where it is with God is a reflection of where our mouth is and what we speak, that what comes out of our lips is the result of the wellspring of our hearts. And so one of the ways that we are able to actually understand in terms of where we are positionally and relationally with God, what comes out of our lips, because it's a reflection of our heart and a relationship with God, to curse words flow out of our mouths are words that give life, not take life, but gives blessings. Um, in 2018, a business insider reported that on average, Americans actually speak about 80 to 90 curse words in a day. That every day, that on average, Americans say about 80 to 90 curse words. Now take a moment to think about that. Right? The effects of our words and the power of our words. And when we curse someone or something the effect that, that that has on the world. Now imagine and think if instead of curse words that we just in this room were to go around every single day to say 80 to 90 words of blessings. 
to ourselves and to one another, imagine what would happen if we were to actually see our coworkers or even our parents today and say, God bless you. God bless you, sister. God bless you, brother. Or say, may the Lord be gracious to you. Or just even say, Jesus loves you. If we were to stop cursing and blessing one another and praying for one another and speaking life, what would happen? I want to admonish us to stop cursing ourselves and others, but to declare and to proclaim blessings on yourself and one another as brothers and sisters, as children of God. I'm going to end with this uh, final story. Uh, maybe some of you uh, have heard this or know this, but uh, about 10 years ago, there was a viral video of a pastor uh, where there was surveys and studies in Ohio, and the pastors in Ohio were saying that Ohio was the number one state in America that uses the most curse words. And so this pastor was talking about how prevalent that people use that the number one curse word, if you guys probably know, is the F word. And, you know, that's not something that I'm going to say here. But he said that, in a sense, that Christ comes to reverse the curse. And no longer that we as believers, what should come out of our lips is not curses like the F word, but words of blessing. And he says that in the church that the new F word is forgive. Forgive. Now, why this video was so controversial and what the pastor was saying, he was telling people to go around to start to say in the church, F you. But that's why people were like, what are you talking about, right? But then what, under, what, what you're trying to understand is the heart of what he was saying was that what we should do and what we should speak and what we should say to one another is God forgives you. I forgive you. God bless you. And this is what should be on the lips and our hearts to break the curse of sin and death, that when people see us, that they would see in us something that has changed, that is different, a life that is made new, where we don't curse and take life, but we give life as we bless one another. So let's bow our heads and let's pray as the worship team comes up. To take a moment to think about, to reflect how can we be a blessing? How have we been blessed by God? What are the blessings that we have received in Christ Jesus? And in what way can we pass down those blessings onto our family, onto our friends, onto the city, into this church, into the nations? What do we want to pass down? And for those of us who are still living in a life that doesn't reflect a life that has been set free in Christ Jesus. At this morning that you would take this time to be right with God. That the Spirit calls and invites you into a right relationship with Him so that He can change what is dead within your heart and in your life, in whatever situation or circumstance you're in or going through, that God desires to actually bless you and not curse you, and that that curse would stop within, let's say, your family or whatever has happened in your life, that he wants to stop that with you, 
so that it would not go on to the third and to the fourth generations, but he desires for you to experience his blessings generationally for thousands of generations and for an eternity. If only you would believe and obey. In what way are you running away and disobeying God this morning as he's calling to you, as he's speaking to you, as he's calling to you to repentance? What is he saying for you to obey? So let's take this moment and this time as we come before him and if there's anybody here has never believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that I want to give you this opportunity that this morning we have our prayer team at this time that's going to come up again as we close in worship. That you would come up. Whether you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to reverse the curse, and then to believe and to obey and to receive his blessings, that there's an opportunity this morning for you to come up to receive Jesus Christ. Or if there's any conviction within your hearts that you want prayer for whatever you're going through in your life, that you want to continue to walk in faith in Jesus Christ, that you would also come up to receive prayer. So as we continue to worship, let's continue to pray and to continue to speak words of blessings into one another's lives this morning. Let's be a blessing.